Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Robots Radio presents... You're listening to the Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast, the best way for everyone from experienced dungeon masters to those curious about D&D to learn more about the worlds, creatures, and lore of Dungeons & Dragons. Hello, welcome to the Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast. My name is Sergio. And I am Mary. And we, this week, are going to talk about some, some world-changing lore. We've been we've been shaking up the uh we've been shaking up the the campaign settings lately with the spell plague. We have, yeah. And now we're gonna talk about the second sundering. So the spell plague, which Mary discussed. A, a few episodes ago uh is is the second century and the spell plague are, are very much linked like both yes. in lore as well as like in real life context so you know much how the spell plague and its story and its lore was used in game as the explanation behind the real world differences you know mechanical and otherwise mm-hmm. between uh D third edition and 3.5 and the upcoming fourth edition, the second sundering marks the transition between fourth and fifth edition. Okay. Okay. And to be honest, like the second sundering kind of undoes a lot of what occurred <laughs> because of and during the spell plague. And, you know, it, it can, you know, you can explain it away. Like, well, yeah, of course, like something like a spell plague, emphasis on the plague. It should be like probably isn't great and should be undone. Uh, That's fair. Yeah, and this is like you know nature healing itself or D and D healing itself as as right, it were. Right, right. Uh, but that's that's let's be honest. Fourth edition, you know, wasn't really that much of a success. Got it. Uh, you know whether or not you know it's a good game or more specifically a good D and D game. Mm-hmm. That's purely subjective right absolutely absolutely you know but from the like objective empirical view of you know money made and books sold and folks playing 
Uh, it seemed obvious to the to the people at Wizards of the Coast that some course correction needed to take place. Yeah. <laughs> and and that came in the form of the second Sundering. And so now that we have the table talk version of why it happened, let's dig into the lore version. That's the part I'm here for. I like I'm I'm a nerd for all of it. I'm a nerd for like the lore aspect and like why 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 is this lore taking place? Like why did this happen? Like I'm a, I'm a, I'm also a huge history nerd as well, so I oddly enough do not care for world history. <laughs> but I like fantasy world history a like lot when, better. When we covered Ravenloft, uh I was so like, you know, I love talking about like the the publication history, like the like mm-hmm. how like the the Hickmans created it and how it started off as a as like a one-shot module and then mm-hmm. had its sequel and then like it became like so popular that you know, they were like, let's make it into an entire campaign setting. And it's like, for me, that was a lot of fun, too. In addition to yeah. like, oh, like Strahd, you know, was a like sort of like a war king kind of like conqueror who, mm-hmm. felt, you know, uh, if you want to know this, this is about the sec. See, there's <laughs> there's the ADHD coming in. <laughs> you brought you it want- with you in full force today. <laughs> if you want to learn more about Ravenloft, check out our four part series on the campaign setting and the lore behind it. Yes. <laughs> but if you want to learn more about the second Sundering, stay tuned because it's coming up like right now. Um, we might get there. So we might, we might, if I can, if I can just rein in this, this, this uh, bag of ferrets that we, that I call a brain. So this, this is a, this is a poem that appears in, um, there is a six book series known as the Sundering, which tells um, not really the, it, the way it's described is the sun. It's, it's the story of six different individuals, you know, um, Dritz is one of them, Elmister is another, and, and and several more. And it tells you know their stories while the second sundering is sort of happening. Okay. And so like you can read them. Uh, you don't have to read one, uh, uh, you don't have to read all of them to get the full story, but they do happen chronologically, like as far as you know, what's what happens in the first book is like the beginning of the second sundering, and then what right. happens in the sixth is the is the final, is the end of it, right? Right. But uh, this poem appears in each of those six books, and it is a uh, it's a prophecy that was written by Eliandreth of Oshar, uh, circa negative seventeen thousand seventeen thousand six hundred dr. So this oh, was it's just been waiting. It's they been had waiting. this one just setting up on a shelf, waiting for it. Got it. When the trials begin in soul torn solitude, despairing. The hunter waits alone. The companions emerge from fast-bound ties of fate, uniting against a common foe. When the shadows descend in hell-sworn covenant unswerving, the blighted brothers hunt, and the godborn appears, and rose-blessed abbey reared, rising to loose the godly spark. When the harvest time comes, and hate-fueled mission grim unbending, the shadowed reapers search, the adversary vies with fiend-wrought enemies, opposing the twisting schemes of hell. When the tempest is born, as storm-tossed waters rise uncaring, the promised hope still shines, and the reavers behold the dawn-born chosen's gaze, transforming the darkness into light. When the battle is lost, 
through quake-tossed battlefields unwitting, the seasoned legions march, but the sentinel flees, with once proud royalty protecting devotion's fragile heart. When the ending draws near, with ice-rocked stars unmoving, the threefold threats await, and the herald proclaims, in war-wrecked misery, announcing the dying of an age. So in a nutshell, the second Sundering, also known as the Sundering of Toro and Abir, was a great catastrophic event in the history of those worlds that occurred during the 1480s DR. So, I mean, that's if someone, you know, if it, if this were D&D Jeopardy, mm-hmm. you know, the qu- or the answer uh, would be, you know, this great, this great catastrophic event occurring in the, uh, is, uh, you know, whatever is what or whatever I, I can't i can't i have watched jeopardy in a while i forgot how it goes <laughs> how does jeopardy so, go i don't i don't know i haven't watched in a very long time so uh some say that it actually all started way back in negative seventeen thousand six hundred dr when that prophecy took place right. uh you know when that very light and airy poem read at the top of the episode uh, oh yeah uh, was uh, was written, uh, you know, for what was to take place almost twenty thousand years later, and the belief is that this sundering is somehow connected to the first sundering that took place back then, when an elven high magic ritual, which went somehow both forward and backward in time, oh. uh, in order to create the elven island of Evermeet, when that ritual went awry. Okay. And also considered to be connected is yet another prehistoric cataclysm, this one known as the Tearfall, that took place in negative 31,000 DR. And we will dig into the lore behind both of those episodes, or behind both of those events, in the Patreon Plus installment of this episode, uh, which can be accessed by signing up at patreon.com slash lorecast. Perfect. So... The more concrete, however, uh, beginning can be traced to when Ao, the Overgod, destroyed the Tablets of Fate at the conclusion of the Time of Troubles. So when Ao did this, he mm-hmm. instigated the era of upheaval since the Tablets defined the laws of realm space and kept kept it relatively stable. So doing destroying these Tablets sort of, uh, you know, wasn't just like a symbolic gesture. It was, you know, very much uh, something that had tangible effects. Right, right. So without them, chaos ensued, meaning what exactly? Well, on the tablets were written the names of the gods and their respective portfolios, mm-hmm. you know, that which were, uh, you know, those are essentially what gods, what they are gods over, you know, Mistra is the god of magic. It's on her portfolio, yes. fall, murder, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But without those tablets... The portfolios could shift around uh, mm-hmm. more easily, and this combined with mortals such as Siric, that little rascalian. Oh who, boy, who will a... be? T- <laughs> who Mary will be discussing? Uh, Mary, uh, you, um, I think you have a love hate relationship with Siric at this I, point. I, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting. Huh. <laughs> But that's that's for next. That's for the <laughs> so next, next week. You can yeah. hear me be super exasperated at this guy. <laughs> so like guys like Siric ascend to godhood, yes, uh, or gods like Bane are being killed. Like that. Like that sort of is the aforementioned chaos that ensues. Mm-hmm. 
Additionally, the connected but separate worlds of Abir and Toril, you know, mm-hmm. worlds that have been separated for many thousands of years, slowly begin to overlap. And then unfortunately, the spell plague drastically speeds up this process. And so the second sundering starts, you know, when Ao makes the decision to recreate the Tablets of Fate and thus separate the worlds of Abir and Toril once more. Okay. You know, the deities are unsure, you know, uh, what to, you know, what this could mean for them and their power mm-hmm. and essentially make all efforts using their most powerful servants to prepare for the event. You know, they are essentially like, they're not sure, like, does this mean we're going to lose power? If that's the case, like, you know, we want to have, we want to be as powerful as possible, you know, sort right. of, you know, sort of like uh, that last push before an election, you know, like we need to like start knocking on doors and, and yes. ask, asking folks if they've heard the good news about ball. That's the nicest way that you could possibly explain it. And, and definitely not how it went for some of those guys ball especially you don't think he was just not having his folks knock on doors the god of murder probably not oh you're you're assuming (laughs) i'm assuming that there was a rash of murders all across all across the face of the planet during the um during the time of troubles they all kind of you know fingers pointed i'm just might be speculation but definitely the god of murder he was not just knocking on doors he was just slaying as he went as as one would expect the and god that's of with an a y not the nice version of slaying like santa claus does so you know if the gods themselves weren't exactly sure what was going on you can be sure that mere mortals had no freaking clue whatsoever right uh and speaking of ball they did have some inkling, however, because Ball, the previously murdered god of murder, like he he had been murdered, he'd been killed, which how ironic. Uh, he Beautiful. was very publicly publicly reborn in the middle of Baldur's Gate, and admittedly, Mary left <laughs> a path of bodies in his what? wake. God of so, murder, killing people. Shocking. So Ball is reborn and immediately starts living up to, to yeah like no like like no like let's go ahead and like get, get our sea legs under us let's you know let's figure out I, let's just, just, I know. know that it's not the way that it went but the mental image of an infant just like all right time to kill somebody get me a sword Sorry. like baby new year running around baby new year like, running around, like yeah baby new year <laughs> slash pick this is what my brain pictured so you're welcome so this was a very public and very bloody indication that not all was copacetic in the divine realms in <laughs> 1482 DR, the year of the Nar- uh, Nar- uh, Narthex murders. Of course. Uh, two years later, in the year of awakened sleepers, stranger calamities began to strike Faerun. We would have uh, earthquakes in one location, uh, a plague of locusts in another you know, droughts along the southern shores as the sea steadily receded. Mm -hmm. And amidst all this turmoil, conflicts begin to break out in many regions of the continent. So the orcs of many arrows go to war against the dwarf holds of the north and their allies. Uh, Sembia invades the Dale lands. So Mm -hmm. Cormir raises an army to come to the aid of the Dale's folk. Uh, Netheril uses this opportunity and brings forces to Cormier's border 
which then draws Cormier into a uh, a two front war. So right, they're so like, it splits there. Right, and so in Cormier's like, oh, we gotta go help, you know, these folks, and Ethel is like, mm-hmm. ha ha. Uh, which I you wouldn't again you you expect the god of murder to murder you expect uh the shade folk I of Netheril to be shady. That's it's true. It's very true. Uh, the long thought dead thief and assassin Erevis Kale, aka uh, Vassin Core River, was discovered to be alive, but essentially in uh, like a sort of cryos cryo sleep, like. Like a magical, oh, in stasis. Yeah, like this, like a magical like, stasis type thing. Yeah, like like Fry in Futurama in the first episode. Beautiful. Uh, his son, also named uh, Vasin or uh, Vasin, uh, you know, Junior, I guess, uh, and two of his son's <laughs> companions were transported to Kale's location by Jurassic Riven, a former Zentarim assassin and longtime rival of Erevis Kale, hmm. where they freed Erevis from his one hundred long a year-long magical imprisonment. And then at this point, Mask then returns to the realms through his chosen, who is Riven, the the assassin and rival, mm-hmm. and acts to put an end to Shar's cycle of night. So I'm the, sure she loved that. Right. So the cycle of night was the recurrent destruction of stars and planets across the cosmos as carried out by Shar. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, we... we this, you know, we made the ruling that Shar was the original emo. And it's true. if there's, I, I can't think of anything more emo than wanting to destroy the stars. That's, yeah. Because <laughs> you, because you can't get your way. That's, yeah. No, she absolutely loves throwing tantrums. So this was because about a century prior, Shar had ordered the opening of a planar rift to the plane of shadow over the city of Ordalun, Ordalun. Mm-hmm. Uh, which essentially destroyed it uh, to create a whirlpool of shadow stuff that would have allowed her to finally destroy Toral. She's been trying. I told y'all. Well, I try to tell y'all. Uh, I try to tell y'all. Her plan failed due to being imprisoned there by Mask, but she had slowly managed to tear a hole in the whirlpool, thus coming close to fulfilling her goal. But the efforts of Vasenkale, the sun, uh, who wields the power of a monitor, the Netherese god of order, law, <clears throat> law, time, and the sun. And of course, the returned mask closed the tear. Of course. The flying Netherese enclave of Sakors, which is an ancient city built atop a floating inverted mountaintop. So like essentially like a floating, like upside down triangle, essentially. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that rested on top of the maelstrom crashed in order to destroy the whirlpool itself the oh residents gosh. of Sakors evacuated prior to the uh to the mythos complete collapse the mythos like mythos are uh we'll talk about mythos here in a little bit the complete collapse and the city crashed into the ruins of Ordolin destroying the void as well as killing the Netherese princes Brennus Tanthal and Rivalin Tanthal Shar's mm-hmm. Nightseer. Mm-hmm. And even though the shroud over Sembia returned, sunlight finally started to reach the surface through the cracks created by the destruction of Sakors. So immediately, like, you know, some like heavy, like light world changing stuff is happening. Right. Meanwhile, the drow begin to cloud the skies over the silver marches through a ritual known as the darkening 
preparing okay. the battlefield for their sunlight hating warriors, which I love how that's described. Hating. Like it's sure. not that it's not that they that the sunlight, you know, causes them like, you know, damage or anything. Like they like right. hate it. They just so, don't like it. Ah, shaking their fist at it. We're not weak. We just don't like it. A large army of orcs and, and drow supported by frost giants and white dragons then assault the Silver Marches in what is known as the War of the Silver Marches, appropriately enough. love it when battles are named like that. Uh, The town of Nesme was destroyed by the orcs and a white dragon named uh, Arathater, while Sundabar was conquered by an orc army commanded by the warlord Hartusk and then renamed Hartusk Keep. Perfect. Again, appropriately enough. Makes it easier. And then meanwhile, throughout this entire period, tales begin to spread of individuals who had been touched by the gods and granted strange powers. Mm-hmm. So what had happened was that most of the gods created many what and what were eventually known as chosen right. um, amongst mortals as they were trying to gather as much power as possible to be as high in divine ranking as they could before Ao completed the new Tablets of Fate which uh, presumably would seal their status and portfolio. Right. You know, Trying because... to get as much power as possible before everything's set in stone. Right. And because as we know in D&D, followers means power. Power for the gods. The more folks believe in you, uh, the more they worship you, the more powerful of a deity that you become. Mm-hmm. People started to claim they had been chosen by the gods and granted special powers you know, and some were at the root of the conflicts that started to grip the land, uh, seemingly driven by, you know, some divine purpose. Like, you know, for example, in 1485 in Icewind Dale, the chosen of Arl went to war with Tin Towns and actually they were ended up, they ended up being defeated. But like I said, they, you know, some of these chosen, you know, were at the, at the center of these, these conflicts, these wars, these skirmishes. Not in the version of that campaign we played. <laughs> and then they did not win. I'll just throw it out there. We did not. And which would, you know, which be, you know, it's a fun sort of like, you know, uh, what if sort of story. Like, mm-hmm. what if the Chosen of Arl had defeated Ten Towns? Like, what does that mean for the, you know, Northern Faerun? Oops. And then, you know, and then while so some of those like kind of like took their chosen status and and, you know, sort of went haywire with it. Others, I had mm-hmm. no idea why, like mystified as to why they were singled out. And then meanwhile, uh, both Telamont Thantul of Thultenthar, uh, uh, who was uh, uh, Netherese Nightshade fatty essentially uh mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and our good friend zaz tam of they <gasps> always ordered their forces to capture all newly appointed chosen so that they could harvest their power because of course like i mean oh like, yeah and That's i'm the not easiest way to get it is to take it i'm not even mad Rather at zaz tam at this point anymore like at all of the evil gonna... stuff that he does like he's like to me he's like Dennis the Menace like he like you know he's just you know he's gonna get into some shenanigans you know he's gonna try to pull a stunt so like you know you know what he's there's gonna a do. few of those guys there's a few of those guys throughout so, like what Man, this why, guy again like why bother getting mad you know you know it's gonna happen Zaz 
arm and you're shaking your fist. Well, you turn into exactly. Skeletor when I did that. <laughs> That's time. Yes. <laughs> so uh, all across Faerun, you know, the conflict rages on. Right. Uh, and in addition to all these sort of uh, like that natural disaster, like, you know, or unnatural disaster, I guess it would like, you know, earthquakes and, and uh, plagues and, and droughts. So in uh, Anorak, seeing that the Netherese forces are spread thin, the long subjugated Badin people rebel in uh, Cormier and Sembia, the Netherese and the Cormierians, uh, you know, trade ground back and forth. Mm-hmm. The Dell lands are, have become an absolute war zone. Yeah. Um, having defeated or besieged the dwarf, the dwarf holds in the north uh orcs march on silvery moon and eventually besieging the gem of the north which is the awesome nickname for silvery moon uh, gem of the north however Sorry. by <laughs> by, <laughs> <that time. laughs> by flame rule which is mm-hmm. essentially Faerun's summer the siege was broken and the war of the silver marches ends when Hartusk was defeated and the darkening is dispelled. So the orcs are just, uh, you know, defeated. The drow are, uh, you know, defeated in their... Driven back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in their, their sunlight-hating spell. And so, but then as if all this wasn't enough, you know, in the autumn of 1485, the great rain began to fall around the Sea of Fallen Stars and continues unceasingly which turns a what was a drought into oh, a floods. absolute flood yeah like not even just like yeah, yeah like a flash flood one and then one that just continued mm-hmm. odd for for months and months and months that just sounds awesome but we will discuss you know the ramifications of that as well mm-hmm. as how the second sundering ends after we get back from the middle of the show Welcome to the middle of the show where we do all the midly things that need mm-hmm, to be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, uh, what what do we do first, Mary? Oh, gosh, we have to come in here and we can't say thank you to the patrons. You can't just not say thank you to the patrons. They are awesome. And uh, you guys make all of these awesome things that we've got going on possible. Make it to where we can get new merch done, where we can work on getting the magic item of the week title pending book out all of these things um so thank you all of you and a special thank you to frankie for signing up and joining us we appreciate you and welcome aboard welcome aboard frankie um no yeah we uh we actually if you are on the robots radio network discord mm-hmm. uh we sort of had a a sneak peek of one of the new uh, designs that we're going to be re- releasing here mm. in the next couple of months. Mm. So if you uh, if you're on there, go check it out. If you're not on there, you can definitely join and check it out. But oh, it's yeah. Uh, yeah, it's very exciting. We've been sitting on this one for a couple of, for a little while now, for about a, a couple months. A couple few months, yeah. We've been like chomping at the bit to like finally get it released, and we're going to be doing so here in the next couple months, along with some mm-hmm. other cool designs. Yep. And then like like Mary said, the uh, the magic item of the week, uh, title pending. Uh, maybe that's the actual... Like, we should just call it title call pending. It magic item of the week, title pending. Ah, yes. The title um, pending magic item. I mean, it's perfect for homebrew, if we're going to be honest here. Right, right. 
I don't uh, know what I'm going to call it yet, but this is what it is. <laughs> and we're going to be really be releasing that here in the next year or mm-hmm. here in, in 2023. So very okay. excited about that. And it's because of the support from, from the patron folks. Uh, so thank you so much for that. Um, additionally, if you want to support the show in other ways, you can go to um, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, leave us uh, five-star reviews. Uh, you can follow us on social media. We're pretty yep. much every, we're on everything now. Um, we, are. we are at D and D Lorecast on, mm-hmm. on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok, mm-hmm. uh, pretty much anywhere. And uh, yeah, like follow us, you know, shoot us uh, comments, suggestions. Uh, oh, stuff yeah. Like that. And Interesting w- D&D things you find. Also oh, yeah, happy absolutely. to talk about all of that, too. You found some weird, obscure thing. Let's discuss that, too. Oh. And I, I wanted I wanted to shout this out. Um, uh, one on on our Discord, on the Robots Radio Network Discord, the D and D Lorecast channel, uh, Samwise nine two three mentioned that um, they're listening to the Bahamut episode, and uh, says I, I can confirm that I will be using all the things in my campaign now. I've been trying to figure out how to link the homebrew Dragonborn lore I have written to the campaign. And this episode literally filled in every gap I didn't know existed. And that, you know, I was like, that's why I do this. Like, I, yes. I mean, I do this because, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm obsessed with the lore. I'm obsessed with world building. And it's true. He's a huge nerd. The the biggest. I don't, I, we don't have, uh, you can't see this uh, through the podcast, but right behind me is an entire bookshelf you know, full of uh, TTRPG books and D&D books. Um, when and- he says full, there's no shelf space. There's not even room for dust. The I yeah, my partner thanks thanks that because she's not <laughs> not, not a lover of the dust. But um, but Dang. no, like I and and also you know to, we we you know we do this to to help folks out with their games to like help them, you know, become better oh, players, absolutely. better DMs, and so mm-hmm. like yeah, that like that really like hit me like right where same. Know. So I was like, same, that's awesome. Same, so same. um. But yeah, that's we we do this so that you know we can we can help folks out. Um, it's also so much when you go to look at the quantity of content. It is so easy to be overwhelmed, and breaking it down this way makes it less overwhelming. No, yeah, I mean, even like when, that when makes I it easier to digest. Doing, I think when I start doing research, I'm like, ah, I don't even know where to start, and so it's like, <laughs> yeah. uh, like everything, like I get as much information as possible. And then sort of like, you know, all right, let's, let's, back let's it put it in a way times. that makes sense. Yeah. My first set of notes looks like I'm unhinged. I mean. More than I actually am. Okay. Unhinged. There you go. There it is. <laughs> but yeah. So again, well, I mean, all this to say, like, thank you so much for the love and support. Yes. Um, you know, we do this. This is a, definitely a labor of love and we want mm-hmm. to, you know, continue facilitating and growing this awesome community that we've gotten so far. Definitely do. Definitely do. And so as far as D and D news, um, well, they're the, you know, they had the four or five finalists for the Lego. You know, mm-hmm. They were down ideas. five. Uh, and they they and you could vote for a winner. Uh, the winner won. We've got the 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 dragon keep the the green the, the green dragon the big the big green dragon one the journey dragons keep journey's end is what it's called. There it is. Uh, 
It's the one with like the the tower and the dragon wrapped around it. Mm-hmm. And this one, you know, I sh- I showed all these to uh, a buddy of mine who like you know, is interested in D and D, but he's a Lego fanatic. Yes. And he saw this one and was like, that looks like dope anyway. Like I would buy that just because even if it wasn't D&D. Right. So, I was reading, though, that they plan on releasing at least three of those sets. Awesome. Is what I had seen. That wasn't direct. I don't think it was directly on their site, but I had seen it somewhere. So I'm hoping that that's true. Because I need them all. I, I, I want them. I want them and I need them. I need um, so we'll have a link to that so you can check them out uh, oh, yeah. in the show notes. Uh, of course, we've also have to discuss really quickly. Um, I don't want to devote too much time to it because we want to get back to the lore. Um, yeah. But the um, the new version of the open game license, which is uh, 1.1, has mm-hmm. apparently leaked. And it is uh, not great. It's yeah. not great. Um, and so, you know, uh, Mary and I have been discussing this. And, you know, we just want uh, to state for the record mm-hmm. that the Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast is a supporter of third-party publishers. Yep. Uh, we love, like, you know, that's the reason, that's a big reason why I fell in love with D&D to begin with. And then, mm-hmm. you know, TTRPGs in general, you know, D&D specifically at first and then the entire sort of a genre after yeah. the fact um, was that, you know, these games were created and then were enhanced and transformed and, you know, just made so much more fun by the people that played them. Yes. And so what, you know, this new gaming license and I'm, uh, you know, I'm sort of, not wanting to call it an open game license uh that term right. open doesn't seem to fit but what it's, this new yeah. what this new gaming license uh seems to do is you know is squash all that squash the third party or do what it can to squash the third party uh creativity and it's so fencing in creatives and that's not you can't Putting limits on creativity is not the way to go if you want to include everybody. Absolutely. So, again, we just want to say for the record, you know, we are a supporter of, you know, both small and large third-party publishers. You know, be absolutely. Them, you know the big the big names that you know, that everyone knows, or you know the folks that are just starting out. You know, trying to um, do something that you know make a living doing something they love. Right, and get their foot in the door. Uh, you know, we stand behind them. Yep. And, you know, hopefully this doesn't become enacted because this, you know, the writing's on the wall, in my opinion, that this mm-hmm. could definitely curtail the game's popularity. Oh, yeah. For sure. You know, there, if there's, if there's, because this would allow less people to, uh, to create for it and the less people mm-hmm. that are creating for it i mean if we're just getting uh official just, content i mean they're they're only releasing but you know what five or six books a year yeah something close to that yeah and you know if, if that's all if that's all folks are getting then i don't understand like you know 
how they're how that how that how does that work as a business model like how is that supposed to expand things and make things better even from a financial standpoint of being a company and you know capitalism and got to make money to live and i get it i get it i do i support that i support some big companies doing their thing but there needs to be boundaries of course and i also support support all of the small creators all of the content creators because that i'm one of them heavily included but it doesn't it doesn't do anybody any good if your version of uniting is a complete dictatorship absolutely with a stranglehold on it that's not that's not what that's the kind of thing that drove everybody away from other things to find for me that's why i found D in the first place that's part of it that's part of the appeal is the ability to create and do all of those things but i don't i wouldn't want any of my homebrew content where it would be accessible based on the proposed change because I would want to keep that for myself. I don't want to have my stuff taken from me and then put somewhere and not given credit. Because I'm a real big fan of giving people credit where it's due. No, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so yeah, like we, like I said, wanted to um, bring that up really quickly, mm-hmm. and uh, and that segues perfectly into our DMs Guild uh, corner yeah. pick of the week, which like this is exactly like stuff like this gets folks excited about the game. Mm-hmm. Stuff like, you know, Doom Forgotten Realms, Fall of Vecna, Volume 3. So we've talked about uh, when they when Volume 2 came out, we discussed it. So Mm -hmm. what uh, what Doom Forgotten Realms is, it's sort of like an entire what if campaign setting. Imagine a world where Tiamat was summoned successfully, where the princes Mm -hmm. of elemental evil tread unfettered, where Demogorgon prowls the Underdark with the wand of Orcus, leaving an army of undead in his wake where the storm giants have been cast to the bottom of the ordning, where Baldur's Gate has been banished to the nine hells. Imagine a world where good has lost and evil prevailed. So it's, it's as if like, you know, everything bad that could have happened in the forgotten realms did. And now you're dealing with the consequences. Good guys did not win. Right. And so like stuff like this, it's so fun and it's so interesting. And, you know, this is something that, likely would never be be officially released because mm. it's not you know it's fun but it's not i don't know it doesn't hit that it doesn't it's not in that perfect venn diagram of like you know fun right. and like profitable i guess i don't know but you know this is the sort of thing that i love to see from the community uh it is a 240 page plus page adventure that will take players from level 10 to level 20 like I said, it's volume three of the Forgotten Realms or Doomed Forgotten Realms uh, setting. Uh, volume one, I believe, is is uh, levels one through three. Uh, nice. Volume two is two through ten, and so this completes the ten through twenty. Uh, it says it's not necessary. It's not necessary to have played the previous adventures, as you know, because Fall of Vecta can run as a standalone for brand new Ooh, characters. Beautiful, um, but. You know, it's awesome. It's, you know, like I said, I do like that it goes all the way up to 20. Those are hard to find. Exactly. Exactly. You, um, you yeah. end up going, uh, into Ravenloft. You end up, um, going to the Undermountain. You end up rescuing the missing Bruner Battlehammer. 
Uh, you go into Skullport, you go into Waterdeep before finally battling Vecna, uh, you know, and the and to prevent the consequent destruction of the realms. Uh, but no, yeah, it's so cool. It's um, just came out. That's Check it beautiful. out. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's fantastic. So uh, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. It's uh, the PDF is fourteen ninety nine. And I, I buy as many copies as you can because the more copies you buy, the more likely it is to get a physical release. And I need this on my bookshelf. I need this. I, is absolutely stunningly done too. It's a solid, what solid two fifty? Yep, two hundred fifty ish pages yep. approximately. How close? Am I? I'm real close. It's like two forty something. And so yeah, it's you know it's something that is definitely worth purchasing. Oh, absolutely. Well, with that being said, let's go ahead and jump into the end of the show and finish up our discussion on the second centering. Yep. Welcome back. We're gonna we're gonna finish discussing this world changing event just really quickly. There's this little little thing called the uh, second centering. You might have heard of it. It's not, you know, it's, I mean, it didn't come in first. It's the silver medals. It's not in terms of, uh, in terms of like consequence or like, or, uh, (laughs) scope. It's just the second one that happened. Oh, chronologically. (laughs) I mean, it's not like, you know, it's like saying like, oh, World War II is the silver medal of World Wars. (laughs) It just happens to be the one that happened second. It just happened to come later in time. So yeah. when when we last left Faerun, stars reportedly uh, were falling from the sky. Mm-hmm. Gods mm-hmm. long thought dead were walking the land. Armies led by you know God infused God power infused mortals known as chosen mm-hmm. were fighting everywhere. And a torrential downpour known as the Great Rain began to flood the sea of fallen stars. So while the waters rose to the east in early 1486, the tide turned against the orcs in the north. And by the end of the year, their armies were broken and scattered. Also during that year, the elves of Mithjanor came to the aid of the Dellands and helped push back the Sembian forces. Uh, in Waterdeep and Neverwinter, efforts were made to clear those cities of century-old rubble and neglect, uh, as did uh, in Cormir, once they repelled the last of the Sembian and Netherese forces from the nation, thus reclaiming their territory. So little by little, these um, like these military conflicts are starting to end. Yeah, starting to see a res- resolution of those. Right. And then by the end of the year, the great rain also finally starts to abate. But, you know, this event didn't signify an end to the chaos, however, um, because the sea of fallen stars had grown, submerging great swaths of land beneath its waves. And then early in 1487, Mm -hmm. major geological instability results in numerous earthquakes and volcanoes. And these, these earthquakes, these volcanic eruptions go on for months, you know, as if the oh, entire gosh. world was convulsing. The world's having muscle spasms. I feel it. I get it. And in actuality, what was happening is that the worlds of Abir and Toro were being separated once again. 
thing ripped apart because they had overlapped things had been thrown from one to the other etc etc during the spell plague incident right right and areas once consumed by large chasms were restored to their pre-spell plague status oh good uh rumors spread of chasms caused by the spell plague suddenly vanishing a story circulated uh of known destinations being farther away from one another Mm-hmm. Uh, as if the world had quietly added miles of wilderness to the distance between them. Let's just make it harder for them to get to each other. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, it's about uh, 20 miles away. Like, no, it's like 30 now. Like, Dude, oh, I just traveled it and I guarantee you it's more Like, I'm not going. I'm not going. I'm not going to go. <laughs> uh, word began, began to spread as well of places and people not heard of from since the spell plague. So it started to become apparent that some of the effects of that terrible time had been reversed, or at least were beginning to reverse. Right. Things are being knitted back together the way they should be. Uh, During the year, ships claiming to be from Evermeet, uh, Lantern, and Nimbral, nations thought vanished or destroyed, sailed into ports on the Sword Coast and in the Shining South. Um, as I, the way like you know as i'm as i was researching this the way that i thought of it was sort of like um the blink in the marvel in the mcu in the marvel movies uh-huh you know thanos like snaps his fingers half yeah. the uni- galaxy universe population or whatever disappears and then they come back and so this is sort of like that sort of, that what's happening it's like all the stuff that you know all everything Harry mandela that, effect yeah, like everything that had happened, everything that as it was before, it was is was once Being again restored to right. It, yeah. uh, no longer engaged in Cormir, Netheril attacks Mithranor by floating the city of shade over it. Uh, in a struggle for control of Mithranor's mythal and the weave itself, the right. flying capital of Netheril was brought crashing down on Mithranor, resulting in the cataclysmic destruction of both. Yeah, so nice. I, you know, I, I brought up mythos earlier and, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're really cool. So mythos, they are these like really powerful magical effects. Yes. Uh, and they're created by a group of spellcasters to protect and ward a large area with numerous powerful enchantments. Yes. So mythos are so powerful that they could permanently alter the weave. To create an area wherein the normal rules of magic no longer apply. Mm-hmm. Uh, an example of a typical mythal uh, will prevent certain schools of magic from being employed while empowering others. And so, as 1487 DR draws to a close, there are nights where the heavens seem to hang motionless. Throughout much of Faerun, the winter of 1487 and 1488, last longer than any on record as the solstices and equinoxes have somehow drifted and later seasons follow suit with each starting and ending later than expected the world got bigger and time had to stretch to match its rotations i mean it's that's what it sounds like that's what it sounds like yeah and in addition to that, prayers to the gods for knowledge and about what's going on and mercy to, you know, deal with what's going on seem to go unacknowledged apart from the presence of their chosen. So it seems like the gods are silent at this point. Oh, 
by they're 14 probably busy <laughs> they, they probably got something going on uh by 1489 uh many of the wars that began during the sundering you know had ground to a close you know other conflicts arose uh and mighty threats still imperiled the world but the deities you know essentially ceased you know stopped interfering with the world through their chosen you know the gods were no longer silent but they were quiet and in many places, new priesthoods arose to interpret the gods' now more subtle signs. Mm-hmm. The world today, at this point, like you know, seems like a, a place filled with new lands and opportunities, where you know those who dare can leave their mark. So this was essentially like a soft reboot, like like a reset, yeah. as it was. Hey, uninstall and reinstall deities.exe. I guess, yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> uh, students of history, and you know those, you know, uh, mortal, you know, or you know, those, you know, folks who like, you know, live uh, like a human's lifespan, uh, and then those like elves and dwarves who yes. can recall the past that short-lived humans see as distant, perceive a world much like it was over a century prior, Ooh. you know, and for most folk wild tales of, po- of people empowered by the gods and of far off lands return to the world become the subject of fireside chatter right those are all old folklore at that point then. right yes. uh and martinoth uh larlock the netherese lich known as the shadow king starts a plot to become the new deity of magic oh by <sighs> mr can't catch a break look i'm just saying Mr. Can't catch a break. You know, by draining the wards of Candlekeep and the mythal of Mithranor. So essentially, you know, the wards that uh that protect Candlekeep. Yes. The you know, library fortress of knowledge, as well as the mythals of Mithranor, the you know, the wards essentially, the powerful wards that protect that city. Larlock is trying to like drain the magic of those and mm-hmm. become and use them to become the new deity of magic himself. Right. Meanwhile, Telamont Than- uh, uh, Tanthul, who has become the Chosen of Shar, continues his work for the Lady of Loss, seeking to destroy the Chosen of other deities, and also planning to drain the mythal of the City of Song of, of Mithdranor. So we got these two little rascals to try to do their thing. Uh, the goal <sighs> was to use its power to transform the weave into a new shadow weave. Because it worked so well the last time. It went well, so well for her. I mean, you know, they're gonna, a villain's gonna villain. I don't know. Villain's gonna you. villain and she wants to destroy everything and she's not gonna let go of it. It's true. Nobody holds a grudge like the goddess of grudge holding. <laughs> that <laughs> should be on her portfolio for sure. It should be. Meanwhile, Elminster is working feverishly to attempt to fully restore Mistra and the Weave. Yes. So the power of the wards had also attracted other factions to Candlekeep, uh, namely uh, the Red Wizards of Thay, uh, the Neth- other Netherese, the Moonstars. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they had sent their agents masquerading, masquerading as monks to keep an eye on them. Monksquerading. Monksquerading. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> when El Mister reaches Candlekeep, these you know monsqueraders attack the other, like the actual <laughs> monks, uh, to gain control of the library. 
but a large number of them had already been replaced by agents of the other factions, which essentially leads to a battle for the wards. So, oh like, imagine, like, the Spider-Man gif where, like, they're pointing at each other. <laughs> yeah. And so... Elminster manages to trick the Netherese by masquerading as High Prince uh, Tanthul, who is the ruler of Thultantar, the floating Netherese city of Shade. Okay. Uh, but instead was tricked himself by Larlock, who pretended to wish the uh, who was pretending that he wanted to use the energies of the wards to strengthen the weave. Of course. Instead, the energies of both of the this uh, of the destroyed wards were absorbed by the Shadow King, who then left left for Mithranor, and it was he was followed by Elminster and his allies. So of course. Uh, so Larlock, you know, completes step one of his plan. Like, you know, absorb the uh or drain the wards of Candlekeep. Now he's headed to the city of Song of to Mithranor to mm-hmm. enact step two of his plan. You know, once in the city of Song, Larlock uh, the Netherese and the Chosen of Mistra, which is you know El Mister and 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 company allied uh, uh, allied with some elves, mm-hmm, clash mm-hmm. in this catastrophic battle. The Sentry, a sort of like elven lich, but like good, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, known as uh, Belnorn, uh, appear they uh, the Sentry herself appears to fight for Mithranor. Okay. ordering other Belnorns to protect the city and then sacrifice herself to, you know, get the magical power, you know, to wrest it away from both Tanthal and Larlock. Perfect. And then use the wards of Candlekeep and the Mythal to strengthen the weave. So you have this, um, like, like I said, they're like elven liches, like they're undead elf, like elves, but not... Almost saints. Kind of, yeah, yeah, kind of a saintly type, yeah. And so, as Elminster defeats uh, Tanthal in a mage duel, the Netherese enclave of Thultanthar crashes atop Mithranor, but the famous wizard was saved by Mistra, who has now yes. gained full control over the weave once more, stopping Shar from turning it in, in, turning it into a new shadow weave. Perfect. So while Thultanthar was destroyed. The barrier erected by the Belnorns around the Tree of Souls, which is a tree that was first planted on Evermeet at its creation and then later transplanted to the to the city of Song. Mm-hmm. Um, so this barrier and uh, created and erected by the Belnorns managed to save the tree, as well as as small parts of the city from destruction, when the floating giant city of Just kinda... uh, crashed on top of it. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, only the Belnorns remained in the ruins of Myth Dranor afterwards. And so as 1487 DR comes to a close, the second Sundering ends with the full return of Mistra and the Weave, the separation of the worlds of Abir and Toril, as well as all the wars that started in its wake coming to an end. Everything just kind of settles back down. Right. And so by by the end of it, the world begins to look very much like how it did, you know, a century prior, mm-hmm. although preserving a few of the changes from the tumultuous era of upheaval. Upheaval such a great word. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> I appreciate that word. 
So we have some geographic changes. So what does that mean? Um, at the end of the second Sundering, most of the consequences that the spell plague had wrought upon Toral were now nowhere to be seen. Oh. Uh, the majority of the earth moats had fallen. The sea of the oh. fallen stars had returned to its pre-spell plague volume, and the underchasm has been filled in. Just it's raining earth moats sounds terrifying. <laughs> uh, nations and most of the lands that were sent to Abir during the spell plague had returned to Toral. Uh, mm-hmm. That includes um, Halrua, Lantan, mm-hmm. Nimbral, for example. You know. Um, Unther also returned, but it did so in a more diminished form than uh, before. Hmm. Um, however, some Iberian lands and new civilizations that arose in the century that followed the spell plague still remained after uh, after the Sundering had come to an end. Right. Uh, you know, while others nations such as Timanther and Akanul uh, mm-hmm. remains in the realms more or less in the way that they were before the Sundering. Uh, while the fall of shade and the absence of the netheries sustaining magic on a rock's climate rapidly becomes arid once more, and the lands at the heart of Faerun rapidly deteriorated and become a desert once more. Uh, the waters receded from Lurin, making the halfling homeland accessible again, although much of their ter- territory is still underwater. Mm-hmm. Uh, Evermeet was restored to Toral, and by the end of the second Sundering, it somehow it like it kind of was uh it's the center of that venn diagram it like transcends planes it touches Mm -hmm. toral the feywild and arvandor all which is sort of like uh i don't know like more or less like elven heaven (laughs) all Mm -hmm. at the same time um changes weren't limited to just geography however uh you know there are many changes to the pantheon you know many deities previously presumed dead or missing managed to return mm-hmm. to life or to reemerge uh, during the second Sundering and then quickly amass new followers or you know win back their old faithful and mm-hmm. to reclaim at least uh, some of their former portfolios which again results in a new distribution of you know, spheres of influence among the Fre- right. Feyrunian deities uh, the most well-known example was obviously Mistra. Uh, mask mm-hmm. ball as well as all previously lost drow deities as and also all of the uh mulharandi pantheon and even uh tier himself who we talked about in the bahamut episode yes uh for other deities like shar the second sundering resulted in a loss of power and influence uh you know the defeat at mithranor like really the lady of loss lost on that one took an l yeah she took the l in 1488 DR, uh, prayers to deities still went unanswered, but their chosen were still present. Um, but by the next year, those prayers began to uh, become answered again uh, as various deities withdrew their power and divine gifts from those chosen since right. their purpose has you know, pretty much been fulfilled. All right. You've used it. Give it back. You're done. Give me back my power. And also, uh, it also brought significant changes to how deities approached mortals you know, many gods, you know, became quieter than before, causing mm-hmm. the emergence of new priesthoods to try to explain the different divine behavior in a post-sundering world. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean exactly that uh, that they no longer interacted directly with mortals. You know, Mistra, for example, uh, kept her chosen, uh, some of her chosen, 
while other gods personally announce, I love this, personally announce their return to the realms, manifesting through their avatars to their followers. So it's like, like I need to Fisco. make sure they know I'm back. Fisco kicks in the door. Boom, baby. Uh, for example, Iliastri, the chaotic good drow goddess of beauty, song, dance, freedom, moonlight, sword work, and hunting, which is probably like the best portfolio ever. I love her. Uh, was seen <laughs> dancing and speaking to mortals in many places, especially along the Sword Coast. Uh, the recently returned Malhurandi gods still ruled among their people, directly interacting with them, just like the god kings of old. Uh, Bane, Baal, and Merkul, collectively known as the Dead Three, were mm-hmm. greatly reduced in power, and as, as a result decided to remain on Toril, living as quasi-divine mortals to spread the word of their return, to gather more worshippers, and to influence events in their favor. And Bane led the trio in these efforts. So they stayed around to keep causing trouble. A ruckus. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> As a result of these changes, sages were unsure if they were um if there were also uh changes to the cosmological order of the yep. planes. Uh some scholars came to the conclusion that the different cosmologies were just theoretical constructs created by mortals, uh, you know, sort of to make sense of things and were right, not actually like the true shape doing. of the cosmos. Mm-hmm. And so by the later years of the 15th century DR, the most popular cosmological models among sages were the ones that we're most familiar with, like the Great Wheel, the World mm-hmm. Axis, the World Tree and models. The world tree. Um, but also they were modified to include planes discovered after the spell plague, such as the elemental chaos, the Feywild, mm-hmm. and of course, the Shadowfell. And this, like I said, like this... You know, a lot of this is found in the the Sundering book series, um, which mm-hmm. uh, it's by six different authors, um, including like Troy Denning, R.A. Salvatore, uh, Ed Greenwood. And so they each tell the, you know, what's going on in the Sundering from the perspective of the characters in those books. But you Beautiful. get um, you get a lot of, you know, what happens in those books as well. So this was. Uh, and these are, you know, for fifth edition, you know, you've still got, you know, Salvatore writing, you know, writing his Dritz mm-hmm. books. Um, but for the most part, by and large, you know, they're not releasing novels anymore. Yeah. And so this was sort of like, you know, a, um, I don't know, like a last call sort of, yeah. you know, for, uh, for storytelling. Cause you know, the idea was they wanted the players to decide what happens in the forgotten realms more so than, you know, the authors of the books. Right. But that is the second Sundering that is, like I said, created to transition the game from fourth to fifth edition and sort Mm -hmm. of course, correct some of what they consider to be mistakes that were that were made in changing it to you know transitioning from right. third to fourth and so that, it feels like a soft reboot a soft reset and i thought it was pretty uh uh pretty ingenious how they were able to you know figure it out as lore wise mm-hmm. as well absolutely rather than oh it's different because you know god stuff they actually gave you the uh actually got the foundation for it and all of the information 
Oh yeah, absolutely. I like it. I love it a lot. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for allowing yes. the D and D Lorecast to be a part of your life for uh, just a short time, and we hope that you come back. Absolutely, do. My name is Sergio, and I am Mary. Fare thee well, dear listener, and until we meet again, may all your twenties be natural. Thanks for listening to the Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with a friend, following us on Twitter at DNDLorecast, or jumping on the Robots Radio Discord to chat more with us about Dungeons & Dragons. We'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to a Robots Radio podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at Robots Radio.